Hallelujah. The beauty of Jesus Christ is not that we first looked at him, but that he first looked upon us. And that simply our response of him causing us to see him for who he is, is what enables us, those that are in Jesus Christ, to look back and say, God, you're worthy. God, you're beautiful. God, there's no one else like you. That's the essence of that song this morning. God, I've looked all over and I haven't found anybody or anything like you. And so this Sunday, we get to simply celebrate. I know for some, this Sunday seems a little unique and a little different, but I want you to know that the people of God are always celebrating the resurrection. And so today, we just get to boast a little bit more. We get to share a little bit more and uh, get to celebrate what Christ has done for us. But I want to invite you to go ahead and take your seats. Don't get too comfortable because I'm going to ask you to stand in a little bit. Um, but I was told to make one more announcement. Sorry, I should have done this sooner. If you guys can just slide into the middle of your rows, uh, we just want to make space for guests that are still coming in and joining us uh, that they wouldn't have to climb over people. Um, but, yeah, just slide to the middle of your, of your rows. Thank you all. Uh, well, it's good to be with you all this Sunday morning. Um, it's good to see our babies up here singing songs about Jesus. Um, and more than just it being part of the program, this has been the desire and the burden, I think, of our church and our ministry leaders that uh, we don't want to wait until our children get older, but we want to engage them with where they're at. We want to point them to Jesus earlier so that those seeds of faith that are being planted right now, we're praying and asking God to bring about life and fruit in their very lives. And so as we enter into, uh, I don't want to say a time of worship because we've been worshiping Jesus, but as we enter into a time where we get to hear from the Lord, my prayer is that regardless of where you find yourself here today, I want you to see in the Bible, I want you to hear from God that there's a place for you, too, at the table of Jesus Christ. Today, I'm going to be coming from the book of John, John chapter 20, and uh, it's a little bit different than probably some Resurrection Sunday passages as you've uh, probably become a familiar with, but it's a passage that uh, doesn't look past the resurrection, but it gazes its intention until what would be called the post-credits of the resurrection. Uh, you see, after Marvel movies, a lot of times there's these moments where you think that the movie is done. You think that it's reached its highest climatic state, and then if you just wait a little bit longer, there's these scenes that come that help illuminate and give a little bit more clarity into what's coming next. The book of John, uh, chapter 20, is those post-credit scenes for you and I. It's an opportunity for us to see that, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Not only did he rise, but he revealed himself to what the Bible says is many of his disciples. And yet right here we see Jesus coming back for the disciple Thomas. And this disciple was a little unique in the sense that Thomas wasn't with the other disciples the first time Jesus came back. And as we, as we kind of unravel this story, what we'll see is that this particular disciple wrestled with doubts. 
And for us, sometimes as we think about Christianity, we don't really know how doubts and faith connect with each other. And as a result, that since we don't have categories, we allow doubts to lead us towards somewhere away from God rather than towards him. So I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Why don't y'all go ahead and stand? And I see my brother's ready on the organ today, so uh, if I'm preaching good, go ahead and play. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. It says, but Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them. And when Jesus, uh, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, or put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Would you join me in praying? Father, we simply humble ourselves before you, Lord. We recognize that on days like today, it's easy to come with expectations to be performed for. It's easy to come with expectations to be entertained. Father, I pray that we would, even now, your spirit would grapple in our own hearts, Lord, the battle of wanting something from you that you haven't promised to give. Father, I pray that the plainness, but also the expansiveness of who you are would be um, something that doesn't just land on deaf ears, but lands on hearing, ears that desire to hear and understand. Father, we ask that you would break bread for each and every one of us, both individually, but as corporately as a family. We thank you for those who are in here today because somebody dragged them to church today. We thank you for that there are people in here who were invited randomly by a friend to come, and for some strange reason, they decided to join them. Father, we know that's not by coincidence, but by your divine providence. Father, would they know that you have something to say to them, that you see them, they're not here out of routine or out of habit. Father, you desire for them to encounter you in a real way. And I pray that they would leave here seeing you rightly for who you are, not based off of what someone else told them about you, but because of who you revealed yourself to be in your word. Father, have your way with us. We are needy. We want more of you. We want to see more of you, stir our hearts for you this day. And would it translate into you bearing fruit of righteousness in our lives a hundredfold? We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all may have a seat.
My brother James put it so eloquently in his prayer of just the reality that there's such a multitude of people in this room today, probably from various different walks of life and also very varying degrees or uh, differing places in their journey towards understanding Jesus. There are probably those of you in this room today who may not have grown up in the church at all. The only reference point that you have for Jesus is hearing it in the line of a popular rap lyric or seeing it on someone's chain. There are also those in this room today who may have grown up in the church their entire life that may identify themselves as being Christians simply on the basis of that's all they've ever known. And yet in being in that place, you found yourself today sitting here wondering if the faith that you were first exposed to is really the faith that you're holding on to or want to hold on to for the days to come. Or perhaps those, there are those who have placed their trust in Christ and they've been walking with the Lord and they want nothing more than to please him and to love them. But the reality of life is, is that it's dealt you some harmful blows. That you find that your faith in many ways has, feels as though it's hanging on by a thread. And you're starting to wrestle with these doubts or these ideas or even having questions about, man, do I actually believe Jesus is who he says he is? You're weary. And the rally about doubts, just as a baseline for all of us, is that doubts by definition are merely feelings of uncertainty. There's this reality that we no longer lack the conviction about the truths that we once held so tightly. And regardless of whichever group you would place yourself in, I want you to know that Jesus is aware of the doubts even if you haven't confessed them with your lips. The reality is, is that if you have lived long enough, then you know that there are experiences that you either have or will go through that ultimately can alter who you are as a person. That there are experiences that can both disrupt and disorient your view of God, your faith in him, and your belief to hold tightly and fastly to God actually being the person he said he is to be. And I wish I had a few more honest saints in the building this morning who on one hand can declare that what I have been through is enough, at least in my own human estimation, to have walked away from God entirely, but there's more to the story, right? Then on the other hand, that there are those who would say, that is true, but if God had not been on my side, where would I be? That he never left me alone. He provided me and gave me peace that I've never owned. That he is the one that I've stood on solid and firm ground with. Amen. That there's these two parallel realities of both doubt and faith. And sadly, in the church and in Christian circles, we just don't know what to do with it when both those two parallel lanes intersect. If the proof of genuine faith requires me to be strong enough to keep it, if it requires me to be strong enough to keep on believing, then brothers and sisters, ain't none of us going to be believing. Uh, we need somebody stronger. <laughs> we need somebody who can keep us when we can't keep ourselves. Uh, today, I want to point to that someone. 
That this Resurrection Sunday, the Bible draws us our attention to a place where we can see the reality that doubts don't have to distance us from God, but they can actually deepen our trust in him. Let me say that one more time for those in the back. That doubts don't have to distance us from God, but they can actually deepen our trust in him. The text begins with Thomas, one of the 12, and it says that he was not with him when Jesus came. Thomas. You've probably heard of this man's name if you've been in church for a while as Doubting Thomas. And the reality is that people, you and I, we tend to uh, attach a person's bad behavior or, or, or wrong decisions to who they actually are as a human being. And so I want you to know that though we know uh, Thomas as Doubting Thomas, God doesn't define him like that. The Bible actually starts with saying that Thomas, one of the 12, was not with him, meaning that the Bible doesn't in any way uh, look at Thomas's shortcomings as a way to uh, dismiss him or disassociate him from the community of faith that he belongs to or who God has said he is to be as a disciple. That's gospel talk for those that are asking. That's good news because it means that no matter how bad the circumstance you find yourself in or how far you've drifted even from God, that what God has to say about you or has said about you is the only thing that matters, right? Here we see that doubt and faith are not mutually exclusive. Uh, these two realities can at times exist simultaneously with one another. Thomas was indeed a man of faith and in order to understand Thomas, we've got to go back a few chapters. The book of John does a good job of kind of giving us a few pictures of the man Thomas, a man of faith. John 11 says that as Jesus was explaining to his disciples that uh, he would need to go back to Judea because um, of his close friend Lazarus had died. And the first thing that the other disciples do is saying, Jesus, wait a minute, hold up. You want to go back to the place that the Jews just tried to stone you? There's a hit on your head, Lord. Why would you go back to which Lazarus or Thomas called twin? And the first observation that you should know is that uh, Thomas was, gang we know that Thomas was gangster because they referred to him not by his government name, but by his street name. Uh, sometimes street names gonna tell on y'all. And so Thomas here, he says, nah, Lord, I'm gonna ride with you. Nah, Lord, let's go. I'm going to go there. I'm, I'm willing to die for you, man. We're going to die with you, Lord. And you can imagine the other disciples being, looking around like, Thomas don't speak for all of us. <laughs> Bro, hold up. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't say that. What, what's wrong with this, brother? But Thomas, that's just how Thomas got down. He knew beyond a doubt that, man, no, this is, if Jesus is going to ride, I'm going to ride with him. But not only that, John 14, as Jesus is talking about uh, his plans to leave and to prepare a way for his followers, Thomas asks the question, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? And one of the most famous verses in the Bible where Jesus responds and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except through me. And we see this beautiful picture of Thomas not being defined as doubting Thomas, but Thomas being portrayed as one who is very, um, who faith doesn't come easy for him. One who found obedience sometimes to be 
hard to follow, one who had to be sure, had to count the cost that what I'm believing in and what I'm saying I'm willing to follow, I'm gonna, I want to understand it to the point to where I can fully commit. He was one who, once he had become sure, once he had counted the cost, he was all in. This is the Thomas that we see here. And one scholar beautifully puts this particular scene in, this, in these few phrases. As he says, there lives more faith in honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. That there is more ultimate faith in the man who insists on being sure than in the man who ghibli repeats things which he has never thought out and which he may not really believe. It is doubt like that which in the end arrives at certainty. John 11, John 14, and now almost nine chapters later, we see that Thomas, a man of great faith, a man who was willing to put his life on the line of following Jesus, is nowhere to be found. Thomas was not with him. There's this disconnecting reality that we see in Thomas's life between what he had known and heard about Jesus at one point in time and now the actual experiences that he was going through in real time that caused him to be like, I don't know if I'm sure anymore. Y'all, trauma is real. Uh, and not only is, is, is it real, but it can be a catalyst for doubt. It can be the very thing that as we think about our own lives, that there are some of us who've found ourselves growing up in abusive homes. There are, there are some of us who find ourselves even right now in abusive marriages. There are, there are some of us who have gone through difficult divorces that have caught us off guard. There are some of us who, who um, have seen a child, a friend, or a loved one walk away from the faith. There are probably all of us in here have witnessed the brutality of police officers taking the lives of innocent black and brown bodies that the world in and of itself is traumatizing. Communities like this one, Communities like the one I live in, where every single day you're bombarded with images of women and men selling their bodies to make a quick buck. Of the drugs and the addiction that people have looked for hope in just to simply help them to get from day to day or moment to moment. That there's this harsh reality that life doesn't always add up or turn out the way that we thought it would. And yet right here, Thomas, after having witnessed a friend, a loved one, a brother, being brutally killed and murdered by the Roman soldiers, after having to watch as this loved one had his hand by hand pierced with nails, hung up on the cross uh, uh, a, um, to see a spear thrust into his side, Thomas is traumatized to the point to where he disassociates or he removes himself from the fellowship of the saints. Trauma has a way of isolating us. It has a way of convincing us that the only way I can deal with my present pain is to be by myself. I'm not under the night. I don't have the naivety to think that some of us didn't limp in this room today. But I want to encourage you. 
that if you are at that point, the Lord will not abandon you. The Lord has not forgotten about you. God knows where you're at. And what he wants you to hear today is that genuine faith is not found in the absence of doubt, but rather in the choice of where you let your doubts lead you. The text continues. Uh, uh, matter of fact, let me, let, me, let me tease that out a little bit. I didn't get enough amens. Um, <laughs> in other words, the issue is not <laughs> that you're having doubts, but rather that you believe your doubts or that you believe doubts have to lead you away from God rather than towards him. The text continues in verse 26. It says, a week later, while the disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. And blessed are those who have not seen yet. All directions aren't trustworthy, y'all. A few years back, my wife and I, we were going to a cabin with some friends, and uh, we've been to the Georgia mountains a few times. And, I, you know, for those of y'all in here, I don't know about y'all, but we're a Waze family, right? And so we end up typing in the calculations into Waze, and it tells us, oh, this is how you get here. This is the fastest route. So uh, if you are traveling in Georgia, especially during the early months, you know that the first thing you got to do is check the weather. So what we had found was that there had been some rains, you know, a few days ago in the area, but for the most part, it would be cold, but we should be cleared to go since we were going to be on the main roads. And I remember traveling, you know, up to North Georgia mountains, and for the most part, we were good. But then this little thing called a faster route popped up. And so I blindly just click on it like, yeah, I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get there faster. Let me click on this thing and go. Well, a few moments later, it has us making a right onto this dirt road. And so I'm driving, driving for about like 10 to 15 minutes, and I'm like, man, it's real country out here. <laughs> um, and then this road, because it had rain, we started hitting these muddy areas, and, and I'm like, man, like the car's slipping a little bit, and my wife's over there looking at me, and I'm like, I can't turn around. Like, it's a one-way road. And so what made matters worse is that to the left of our street as we were driving, what would have been a lazy river turned into a roaring river because of the rains. And there wasn't no guardrails. So I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving, and then finally we exit off and we get into back on the concrete roads and we arrive to our destination. I remember asking our friends, like, yo, did y'all go through these back roads? And they're like, nah, we use Google. <laughs> and the reality about Google is that uh, the difference between Waze and Google is that Waze will uh, lead you on a path that only focuses on the driver's direction. But Google is more expansive. Google takes into consideration everything around you so that not only will you arrive at the destination, but you'll arrive there safely. Um, for some of us, we've been using the wrong navigation system when it comes to our doubts. We're allowing doubts to drive us in a direction that doesn't have our best interests at heart. I want to speak directly to those who find themselves there because I want you to know that doubts are not neutral playing field. 
that for the believer, uh, your doubts can be planted by your truest enemy. And if you don't recognize that when you found yourself in a position of doubting, then there's very well someone around the way trying to fan the flame of that fiery dart. And if you're not careful, what you'll find yourself doing is spending more time searching for answers, feeding your mind, as opposed to coming to Jesus to take care of your soul. Genesis 3 tells us, and just as a proof text, Genesis 3.1, we see the serpent at work. Eve, did God really say you can't eat from the tree with the fruit of life? And Eve, instead of taking captive that thought and comparing it to the word of God, she entertains it. And what's the consequence? All of creation is cursed. Doubts allowed to fester will cause, will only cause destruction. Thomas was alone. He wasn't with the flock. And though some of us are here today on Sunday, it's been some time since we've seen you here on Sunday. And it's not to shame you. We're glad you're here. But perhaps the difficulty and challenges that you've been experiencing in your walk with Jesus is because you've believed the lie that you can progress in your faith in Christ disconnected from the body that Christ died for. Satan is the one roaring around, or Satan is the one that is roaring around like a lion. And if you know anything about lions, they don't go after the pack. They wait for the wandering weak sheep or animal that strays away or gets distracted and say, oh, it's better over here, y'all, while the rest are going in a different direction. And it's that one who for a while thinks that, oh, the grass is green. It's that one that thinks, oh, I'm safe, the water is rich, I'm blossoming, I'm flourishing in all that I'm doing. But it's that one that the enemy has its eyes on and is waiting for the right opportunity to pounce. Brothers and sisters, a lot can happen in a week. Uh, Thomas went from doubting to despair. Despair to isolation. Isolation to proximity. Proximity to fellowship again. Fellowship to an encounter with Jesus and an encounter with Jesus to worship. A lot can happen in a week. As, as we continue to look, we see that unbeknownst to Thomas, uh, his doubting had not removed him from the reach of God. Uh, isn't that the lie that we believe? Is that because we're doubting that somehow God has distanced himself from us? Surely Isaiah 59, the prophet tells us, that surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Surely the arm of the Lord is not only too short to save, but his ear is never too dull to hear. Thomas didn't know that Jesus was listening, but we'll find out that Jesus was listening. And it may have felt that God was distant. It may have felt that God had abandoned him. It may have felt that hopelessness was his only option, but the text says that Jesus came on in. 
The cross and resurrection, y'all, yes, is about the magnitude of God's, of Christ dying and raising from the dead for the sins of all. But the beauty of the resurrection is the personal aspect of God not abandoning the one who felt left behind. If the Lord's eye is on the sparrow, how much more is his eye on his children? What would make God in the flesh not leave one of his followers behind? Because the Bible says that Jesus is the good shepherd. The Bible says that Jesus is the one that will leave the 99 behind in order to go after the one. The Bible says that he is the one called the good physician. And that means that when he sees one of his children's faith sickly, he has no option but to say, I'm coming to you to heal you. Jesus is the empathetic high priest. What would it look like for an empathetic savior to go on the cross and die for Thomas and yet simply go to heaven, leaving him far behind to deal with his own mess and muck? He's the one that says, Thomas, I've been there. Remember my words in the garden? Father, if there be another way. Father, let this cup pass. Father, I don't know if your plan is the best plan for me. He knows what doubt feels like. And if he sees me, then that means that he sees you exactly where you may find yourself because he doesn't need your lips to utter what the truth in your heart is shouting. I feel as though the reason why we're scared to bring our doubts to the Lord is because we fear that he's going to respond to us cruelly. That he's going to look at us with displeasure and disgust. He's going to say, be stronger. That's not how the Lord responds. Verse 26, it's 26, it says, even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. First thing we see is that Jesus enters into a place of fear and doubt and establishes his presence. Uh, when you see that, go ahead and put an exclamation mark, security. That's what God wants for us. Not only that, it says he gives a blessing of peace be with you. He doesn't respond to Thomas's doubt with condemnation, but rather with liberation. That word peace, y'all, is not the simple when you're leaving your friends and you're about to head out the door by saying chunking a deuce and saying peace. That's not what Jesus is doing here. If you're going to look and search the Bible of when Jesus utters the word peace, what happens is that he removes all anxiety and fears. The reality is Jesus entered into a place where Thomas and probably the other disciples were wrestling with anxiety and fear. And he says, now that I am here, let the waves of confusion and anxiety cease and be still. This ain't about theoretical theology, y'all. This is about experiential realities that you and I are meant to possess and see right where we find ourselves. Jesus doesn't respond with doubt and condemnation, but he responds. Uh, but he also, as the text goes on, he says to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. That Jesus doesn't overlook Thomas's doubts. But he invites, invites him, actually, to deepen his belief. What's a marvelous Savior that would look at the doubts that you and I have at times and would say, come on a little bit closer. Come on a little bit near. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you and say that somehow I'm not going to respond with grace. Don't let the enemy convince you that I, I'm not going to love you where you are at right now. 
The very instructions that Jesus tells Thomas are meant to provide proof to Thomas to say, I know you're wrestling with doubts, but every time you wrestle with a doubt, I want you to see the nail that went through my hand. I want you to put your hand in the side that I took, the piercing blow that I took for you. Jesus had allowed Thomas space to deal with his grief. It's amazing that Jesus waited eight days to appear to Thomas. It's amazing that other accounts will say Jesus appeared to all these different people. And it could have just been, well, Thomas, you missed out, bro. You was tripping. But Thomas, wait, but Jesus, Thomas gives him eight days to wrestle, to process, to grieve. And in the precise moment of time where God in his providence had taken a man who said, who was nowhere to be found and brought them into an environment where Jesus would be present is able to say, Thomas, come a little bit closer, bro. Y'all, we got to understand that directions provide assistance in pointing out the proper route. Look at the directions that Jesus gives Thomas. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Jesus is saying that the way, Thomas, is not to go elsewhere but to come near me. Those gracious hands that Thomas had seen blessed the little children. Those gracious hands that Thomas had seen heal the sick. Those gracious hands that Thomas had witnessed lift Peter out from the sinking waves were now those gracious hands that, yes, he had witnessed being pierced on a cross. But now were those gracious hands being extended to him as proof of his love, and as the means of drawing Thomas closer to him. Oh, what gracious hands the Lord has. And yet, the text, the instructions don't just end there, because the final thing we see in verse 27 is that Jesus doesn't disqualify Thomas's faith because he's been faithless. He doesn't disqualify Thomas's faith because he's been faithless, But he grounds his faith once again in his words, be faithful. That word, believe, is the same word for being faithful. means start believing again. Here we see grace unfold. And the reality is, y'all, is that the very first thing that Thomas, that's recorded about what Thomas does, is not actually that he follows the instructions of the Lord. It's not actually that he really did put his finger in his hands or that he really did put his hand on his side but it shows us that we don't need all of our answers uh all of the answers that we have about God met in order to have faith in him the song says man like yo who am I to demand anything from God who am I to ask that God would provide greater proofs for me than what he already has done y'all we have to be careful of making demands for God to answer us as if he serves us and we're not called to serve him. He says, my Lord, my God, my Lord, my God. Those four words, y'all, or five words, I had to go back when I read this and I had to start remembering what it was like 
at that moment where someone shared with me what it meant, what Jesus had done for me. And I had to go back to that moment of what did my life look like before I met this Jesus? The song said, but one look. And it was in that moment in a college campus, in a dining room, where I sat with another brother who simply laid out to me who this Jesus was, and it was in that moment that I saw him. But we don't sing these songs because they're not real. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it only took one look. You may have been looking elsewhere, or you may have been looking at the wrong Jesus, but the reality is when you look at the right Jesus, it only takes one look. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And it close. The last few verses of this text, I think, are an invitation to us. It says that Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet believe. And yet the entire synopsis of the Gospel of John is found in these words that these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It has been said by some, tell the truth and shame the devil. And I think there's no better word to kind of encapsulate these verses than that very truth. Jesus, uh, Thomas, after meeting Jesus in the midst of his uncertainties and doubts, is declaring to you and I that there's grace available for the doubting. But not only does it stop, but it doesn't stop right there. That there's greater grace available for those who won't ever be able to put their finger into his thorns of his hands. Won't ever be able to put their hand into his side in a personal way. But that doesn't mean that the opportunity to know Jesus personally does not exist. Jesus had in mind the you's and I's in this verse. The you's and I's that would come behind and say, God, I don't know where to bring my doubts. And Jesus would say, well, I'm going to tell you where you bring your doubts. Bring them to me. That the opportunity to have saving faith is not in a personal or physical manifestation of Christ to you in a dream. God can do that, but he's got other plans. That the opportunity to know Christ isn't even simply by you um, having to have some type of special revelation for yourself. The re opportunity to know Jesus is simply by reading the words off this page and understanding that there are witnesses who did that very same thing. And yet up until this day, hundreds, thousands of years later, there are people off of the testimony of these individuals have said, I heard what Jesus did for them. I've heard what Jesus has done for me. And now I want to place my faith and confidence in that very same Lord, who if he can be concerned about the doubting, then he can be concerned about me. One quote reads this. Thomas is a man who thought that Jesus was dead. Thomas is a man who leaned solely on his own physical senses of sight and hearing and touch in order to place his trust in Jesus. And yet, though God met him in a special way unique to that particular moment in time, that same Jesus will meet you exactly where you are. 
the invitation that this text gives to those in the room, some Christians who find themselves weary, some those who have never heard about Jesus, and this is the first time hearing about a Savior who wants personal relationship with you, or even those who, yeah, find themselves disinterested and are like, man, I can't wait till Easter, Easter lunch or dinner. I simply want to close with an invitation to you that all the news that James mentioned earlier, that that reality of life and death exists in every single moment and every single day in which our lungs inhale oxygen, but then we'll, one day they will cease exhaling oxygen. That death is a reality for you and I. Don't waste an opportunity to get right with Jesus. The resurrection promises that there is life after death. And if there's life after death, then that means whether or not you recognize him as Lord doesn't mean that he isn't your Lord. You can either meet him as a friend or as a foe. That's the decision. So beyond all of that, I simply want to make an opportunity. It's not about you coming to the front. It's not about you raising your hand. But I simply want to pause for a moment and ask that if you know Jesus, would you pray for those in the room who don't? And ask the Lord that he would save. And if you don't know Jesus, then the Bible is clear that if you would confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, if you would just believe this book, believe this account that Jesus showed up after being dead and revealed himself to other people like you and I that witnessed the marks of his death, but also witnessed the resurrection life of a man that wasn't just man, but was actually God as well. That you can have him as your savior this morning. You can have your, him as your savior right now by calling out and asking him to save you, to confess and repent of your sins, and to invite God's people to come around you to help you with your walk and to help you understand what does it actually mean to follow him. Let's take a few minutes right now and then I'll close this with prayer, and then we'll continue with worship. Father, we pray that as the seed of your word has gone forth, Father, would you remove any obstacles and barriers on people's hearts, Lord, that would keep them from being receptive to your good news. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would draw people to yourself, Lord, that you would make us unbothered and unconcerned about what others may think about us, Lord, that what, what, what I would have to even give up, Lord, to follow you, Lord, but that we would just respond, respond like Thomas in utter worship, in utter surrenderance, in utter willingness to acknowledge you for who you are, my Lord and my God. 
Father, I pray that you would provide the freedom for those who have felt that they've been in bondage, not knowing how to really handle the doubts that they wrestle with and the faith that they are fighting to believe they actually possess. Father, I pray that they would find relief and comfort in knowing that, Lord, we can bring our doubts to you. That our doubts don't disqualify us from you as your children or our people or your people. And I pray that Cornerstone and many other churches would be a place that creates an environment for people to feel free to just confess where they actually are at. That we wouldn't try to hide, that we wouldn't try to pretend, but that we would find a level of vulnerability and safety in the flock and knowing that, Lord, I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. And that we would wrestle, not in isolation, Lord, but we would wrestle in community. That we would trust that, God, you've given us people who aren't where we're at that can help us navigate the rocky and treacherous terrains of our doubts to hopefully arrive at the right destination that you intend for us to, which is to your son, Jesus Christ. Father, only you alone have the power to save. Only you alone are mighty to save. And so, Father, we pray that you would not only bring people who find themselves in darkness right now into your marvelous light, but you would bring um, those who have been in darkness, who've been walking in darkness as believers out of shame, out of fear, that you would allow them and enable them to bring all of themselves into the light of your word. Father, we thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.